Welcome to Rattling the Stars. My name is Tammy Tucky, and welcome to my channel and this special podcast interview series. One of the most famous performance groups in the world is Cirque du Soleil. Their various shows and films, based on the unbelievable circus and acrobatic acts of many talented Cirque performers, has now been around for almost 35 years. And my introduction to this group was through their first IMAX feature film release called Journey of a Man back in the year 2000. So I am thrilled to have director Keith Melton join me for the film's upcoming 20th anniversary. So welcome to the show, Keith. Thank you, Tammy. How are you? I'm doing well. I I was watching this film again because I have a DVD copy of it and I need to get the Blu-ray copy of it. But it's one of those things where it's like you remember that experience of seeing it in IMAX because I think it was such... I don't think it was as notable back then as it is today. I guess any film can be in IMAX now. But this film in particular, I think, needs to be seen on the big screen in IMAX because of the beauty and structure that you put into it. So when you were hired to work on this project, was IMAX always the the, the thing that they were aiming for to create the story for this film and to, sh- to see it on the big IMAX screen? Yes. they. Uh, there was an internal group um, at uh, Cirque that had uh, developed this to a certain point, and they were working in conjunction with Sony Pictures Classics to release it. And uh, they were looking for a director, and um, I happened to be at the right place at the right time. I clicked with the then head of production, Peter Wagg, um, met the people at Sony, and um, gave them my pitch as to what I would do. And uh, uh, much to my great happiness, they chose me. What a project to be a part of, but it it seems like even though for like a 40, 45 minute film, a lot of technicalities go into this, just watching it again, I'm just, I'm wondering how you got to piece this together. And overall, it's a story about the journey of man from birth to past manhood. And so in your In your opinion, how do you think you guys were able to structure it so well, including the acts? Because apparently it it seemed like there were a couple other Cirque shows that were incorporating various talented performers into the story and structuring it that way. So how was the breakdown of that, you know, created? Well, so uh, we had a basic structure for it uh, from the very get go, and we had had a variety of acts that were available to us and we developed the storyline around some of the acts that were available such as the underwater or the synchronized swimmers from O um, which the the thing that was unique about this film besides the fact that it was uh, Cirque's first foray into you know an IMAX 3D large format movie is uh, that we took all of the performers out of the big top and into natural landscapes. So we we broke the stage and put them into the real world, but tried to keep the, the magic, the theatrical magic of Cirque at the same time. So we basically traveled to various parts of the world with uh, our movie circus and then, of course, the talented Cirque performers on screen and the, the Cirque supporting staff um, behind the screen. 
And I know safety is always always the number one thing here. So when you're placing them off the stage into an environment that's more realistic, is there anything that's different with those technicalities of making sure everything is set and ready to go? It was certainly a challenge for them and for us because we were we were challenging them to be in the real world and deal with elements that they were not normally used to. For instance, we took the uh, synchronized swimmers from O, which is a uh, body temperature pool uh, in Vegas, um, basically a stage with a pool, and uh, they are very accustomed to having no uh, other objects in the water like little swimming fish um, or currents. And so we took them and they normally perform like, you know, synchronized swimmers do at the surface of the water. And we took them for the first time to the Bahamas, 40 feet underwater, lit the whole area and performed this incredible sequence uh, underwater with them having to uh, negotiate with currents, with little critters in the ocean, and the fact that we had to design special costumes and makeup and eye gear for the ocean environment. We had, for every uh, swimmer, we had a support diver with a very long um, umbilical uh, regulator, and they would breathe on the regulator, I would literally take out my regulator and literally talk to them underwater. Uh, we had a series of underwater sounds that would cue them so they knew when the camera was rolling and when to, you know, start their their moves. And we had uh, underwater speakers, so they were performing against playback to music in a against a giant. Uh, twin 65 millimeter underwater rig uh, that only ran um, for about four minutes uh, continuously and then we'd run out of film and we'd have to take it back up on a crane onto the deck of the boat, open it all up, reload, come back down and keep shooting. So it was very complex, and um, these guys were Olympic athletes, essentially. And so uh, during the takes, it would be sometimes 20, 30-second takes where they are holding their breath and performing these really intricate, um, you know, uh, choreographed moves. And it was amazing to watch them you know, overcome all the challenges and still perform in their magical way. I, I remember, because I was a young kid at the time, and I, I clearly remember the visuals of the birth scene with the child. And I have to ask, how did you cast this film as opposed to just, you know, you have the Cirque performers, but you also have the young young child, then the young man, and then the old man, and then also the the two little imaginary creatures with the young boy. So how do you go yeah. about casting those roles? So the 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 sort of uh, clownish characters, the floons, which were the, sort of the imagination of the child, um, they w were shark performers, um, as was uh, Nikki Dewhurst, uh, the older man, and then the young man, was uh, also a Cirque performer. And, and the young boy we cast in the conventional way that you cast a film. Um, and then literally 
everyone else um, in in the various sequences uh, are Cirque performers. In particular, was the music already pre-recorded and everything was completed on that end before you started filming? Yes, we we worked with a uh, one of the main Cirque um, composers, Benoit Jutra, and uh, some of it are pieces of music from various Cirque performances and some of it is original for the film but we did create all of the music that the performers had to um, perform against uh, we had pre-recorded so uh, you know wh- whatever performer was performing in front of the camera was always listening to a, a track playback so it uh, you know not unlike a, a music video uh, and uh, they you know if they're doing the balancing act on a on a giant lily pad in the middle of a pond uh, in Northern California, or you're trying to uh, balance a giant cube in the Valley of Fire in Nevada. We took our music um, with us so that they could uh, perform against that. I was very excited. Uh, I got to show it to uh, one of the main directors who directed a lot of the stage shows. And, and uh, I showed the, the the rough cut to him, and um, he basically turned to me at a certain point and just said, "F you." And I'm like, "Excuse me." He goes, "I wanted to do you know an underwater sequence like that, and now you beat me to it." And it was his way of complimenting me. He was he he loved it, and to me that was high praise. That somebody who's you know been the director of many of Cirque's stage shows um, really enjoyed it as well. So I felt like we had passed the pedigree. So was there ever any discussion after this original project with you to do something similar because it was very well received? Yes, it did quite well. Um, they ultimately, um, many years later, uh, worked with Jim Cameron on a Cirque. Uh, uh, film, a 3D film called Worlds Away. Um, and it told a story as well. Um, so there are very few Cirque, you know, movies. They've obviously mainly stayed and uh, excelled uh, on stage. So I feel like I'm in a, um, a very special, you know, group that have been uh, allowed to take them into the cinematic world. I, I'm so glad that you got to work on this and, and now you're working on some new projects. So why don't you tell us what, where your journey has led since Cirque? The journey of Melton. Uh, it, it, I've continued to, uh, I've done directed many uh, other IMAX films, but uh, currently I'm actually talking to you from the Middle East uh, in Qatar and I am the media producer for all of the media-related attractions in an indoor theme park. Uh, and this has been pretty fascinating for me. I've been helping to work with the entire creative team here in developing the theme park in general, but specifically integrating uh, all kinds of media elements uh, throughout the, the, the park. So um, there's a flying theater where it will feel like you're, you're flying, you're in the image itself, even more immersive than an IMAX screen. Um, 
we take a journey, a, a magical journey uh, into a, a fantastic land on, in a simulator ride. We shoot out into space in a roller coaster, media-related attraction. There's all kinds of really interesting projects that I'm completing right now. What, what do you find are the biggest differences between projects, you know, theme park related, even though they're just as cinematic? It's all about telling stories. And uh, we've got, you know, less time to do that in a, in a theme park related project. You've got about 40 minutes to tell your story in an IMAX screen. And then, of course, you know, anywhere from 30 to an hour, um, sometimes longer for television, and then two plus hours for features. So it, you're, you're telling unique stories. Uh, in my case, with the, the special venue projects, the IMAX, the World Expo, and the theme park stuff, um, you are telling unique stories with unique technology. And I, I really enjoy that. And I I am always being challenged with trying to use technology in a unique new way to tell, you know, really fun stories that uh, excite you and and hopefully um, capture your imagination and take you away to whatever world we're, we're creating at the time. It's always so hard for me to uh, try and show my projects to people because they're like well i'm sorry that's uh should be on a six-story tall screen in 3d that oh i'm sorry that's a flying theater film oh i you know sorry <laughs> you have to be in a simulate you know it's very hard to translate it unless you're actually experiencing it as it was designed and um mm -hmm. yeah but um i'm sure happy that it lives on in uh in you know blu-ray format and i do encourage people to check it out, you can pick it up, uh, you know, places like Amazon. Check it out yourself. See what you think. Mm -hmm. And and as the film, the, you know, the, the film is rolling on to approach its 20th anniversary next year. So what do you think of its overall legacy? And what would you like to say to the fans of the film in general for their love of it? Uh, look, I'm... I'm I was honored then I'm honored now to have been a part of it um I encourage anyone who is a Cirque fan to check out this film it's just another part of the legacy um you know I think uh I was super excited that um we were able to you know do what we were able to do we got Ian McKe Sir Ian McKellen to narrate and that was a great joy to work with him so it's um you know it's it's a uh, it's an imaginative uh, little journey that I think everyone's going to enjoy, and I'm so happy that you and your father enjoyed it uh, over the years. That makes me happy. He says hi. <laughs> I was telling him I was going to talk to you today, so he says hi, and he really does love it, and he's so glad you made the film. And we were all surprised. I I'm glad you mentioned Ian McKellen because I I completely blanked on that. Yeah, we were surprised at the end credits to see that he was the narrator. So that was just. Wonderful. Did he get to go to the set at all and see what they were doing? Or he, you only had him for a day of voiceover, you think? Yeah, that's that's how it works usually. Um, he is a big Cirque fan, and that's why he agreed to do it. And um, uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun to work with him. Um, he would challenge us in, in some of the phrasing and wording just so he understood it. Um, a little different for him. You know, it, he was acting as this sort of uh, voiceless, um, faceless, uh, voice for the film as a voiceover. And, but 
he, I think he did a magnificent job and he really just adds that overall arc, the storyline in its, uh, you know, in, in his own inimitable way. He was just about to go to New Zealand and start filming Lord of the Rings and uh, also wow. the X-Men film. So I caught him just before he became a superhero and a wizard. <laughs> well, he's still most notable narrator in this, and it's it's wonderful to hear his voice. I, I'm I, I'm I'm assuming that he 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 must have seen the film and he must have loved it as well too. I think he did. We premiered it uh, in New York at the big Sony Theater there, and uh, and uh, he was there. So it was it was great, great to great to experience it all, you know. And um, I. I too hope that it uh, it occasionally comes back when they have these cinema uh, IMAX festivals. Um, it's still uh, for certain theaters um, they request it to play again, which I'm happy to hear. Um, but really, the only way today, mainly these days, is to to see it on DVD. In your opinion, if you could use one word to describe the overall experience of working on this project with the Cirque performers. What word would you use? Well, a word, I don't know. Um, uh, But phrase would be dream come true. 